Today on Catfish Best Source, we step away from catfishing a little bit, and we bring in the Jason Mitchell TV star from the Grand Grand Forks Best Source Studios. Welcome to Catfish Best Source. I'm your host, Brad Derrick. Today, joined by producer Katie. Thank you for joining us. Uh, a couple of notes, as we always have at the beginning of the show. This is the last scheduled Catfish Best Source. However... We are going to expand it out a few more weeks. We've got some guests lined up, so stay tuned. We're going to keep on going. Tournament news. Catfish Capital Challenge in Drayton, August 6th and 7th. We still have some openings for that. Sign up, catfishdrayton.com. Uh, big announcement on payouts coming out in the next week or so on that, so stay tuned. Catfish University, North Sioux City, that is right around the corner. Uh, we still have a few openings for that. Join us in Sioux City on the sixth on the sixth of March. You can still sign up for that at catfishuniversity.com. Whether it's sports, hunting, defense, self-defense, Brothers Firearm Shop has you covered. Check out their new location in the Grand Cities Mall. Brothers Firearm Shops buy, sells, trades, and services all makes, models, firearms. Check out their huge selection of accessories. An NFA dealer, Brothers Firearms Knowledgeable Staff can help you get the answers and the products you're looking for. See their list of departments at brothersfirearmshop.us or call locally 701-757-2112. Brothers Firearm Shops. They buy, sell, trade, new, new and used firearms located in the Grand Cities Mall in beautiful Grand Forks, North Dakota. So here we are, uh, what was scheduled to be our last show. We had a lot of requests here. A uh, guy that I've known since he was, since before he was famous, Jason Mitchell <laughs> from Jason Mitchell Outdoors. Welcome aboard, brother. Hey, thanks for having me on. So, uh, like I mentioned, I've known you since the beginning of time, going back to the early <laughs> 90s in... UND Williston, which doesn't even exist anymore. It's Williston it State College now. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, we met up there, and, and then uh, neither of us was anybody in this world at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good thing. <laughs> what I remember is you liked to fish a lot. I really didn't, and we went our kind of our separate ways and then came back around and met back up again in the fishing world later on. So uh, yeah. what happened to you after you left Williston? <laughs> <laughs> if you remember right, I wasn't a very good student. <laughs> so my college days were kind of done after that. But, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I didn't get a degree. Um, I wasn't really a good student, wasn't really good college material. And uh, if there was fun to be had, I was, I'd rather do that or fish instead. And so um, I probably spent too much time doing all the other things that I shouldn't have been doing at that age. And so, um, but yeah, I started fishing at a pretty young age and started, you know, my fishing career at a pretty young age. And I guess in hindsight, that was probably a blessing because I didn't have a wife or kids or bills. I had a pretty low standard or quality of living expectations. I was just happy sleeping in my boat or my pickup if I could fish every day. And so it's kind of a fishing bum and i guess i just got lucky in that um you know it turned into a great career for me so i was actually gonna bring that up that you actually did spend some summers in your boat for the most part out in sakaka oh, yeah. that's right isn't it yeah yeah i mean i didn't have enough money to even drive home or drive back i just stay wherever <laughs> i was fishing and and uh you know and, and yeah i mean i i didn't have you know i all i wanted to do was fish it was like a drug for me you know i 
that's all I wanted to do. So I can think of a lot worse drugs than that. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you, uh, I mean, did you just launch and go all over? Because I know you are in Sakakawea in those days. I mean, did you just go all over the lake, or would you just drive to a section and live on that section for a while or follow yeah, the fish? Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly stayed around the east end of the lake or, or Van Hook, you know, some. But, uh, you know, I mean, like back then, you know, we didn't travel anywhere to fish. I mean, going to another state and fishing was unheard of, you know. And so for me, you know, the east end was, you know, 35 miles from where I grew up and, you know, growing up in Minot. And then, you know, like Van Hook, that was a whole – you know, hour and a half, you know, 80 miles, you know, deep water was like 80 miles. So that was like the edge of the world, you know, and every once in a while I'd get over to like Newtown and White Earth and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, that's all I did was fish and I, you know, I never really had much money or nothing. So, I mean, I, I had to make the most of it. So, you know, if I had three days I could fish and I wanted to fish over by Newtown, I just end up sleeping in my boat or my pickup because I wasn't going to drive back and forth. And I sure didn't have enough money or to get a hotel room or a cabin or anything like that. So I just, you know, made do and, you know, I was young and having the time of my life. And then I ended up going over to Devil's Lake one time with some friends and I was like 21 years old. And uh, actually I started guiding waterfall hunting up there when I was 20, um, kind of a friend of a friend, kind of a thing worked out where they needed a waterfall guide out of Woodland. And so I started working up there when I was 20 going up there in the fall. Then I went up there in the that following summer and, you know, I was just so blown away by everything at that time, you know, the, the, the Minnewaukee flats were just, you know, just starting to raise up, you know, in Pelican Lake. I just remember just, you know, thousands of acres, it seemed like, of trees in the water. They saw the leaves on the trees, you know, it, it, the flooding was so new and the fishing, you know, was just incredible. And I've been old, you know, just old enough and around long enough. Remember like with Sakakawea where we had those really low years when the water came back up, how incredible the fishing was during that high water. And so I thought, my goodness, this is going to be what's this is this is going to happen here on Devil's Lake, but it's going to it's going to last a lot longer because this water, I mean, there's like you know, it's 20 feet higher, you know, than it was, you know, and so it was. I was just blown away by. It. I was blown away by the fish. And I literally loaded, I went home, put in my two weeks notice. You know, I didn't really. It's not like I had a big career or anything. You know, I was walking away from. I mean, I was just barely getting by, and uh, loaded up everything I owned into a 17 and a half foot tiller boat and. Showed up in Devil's Lake ever since. So, <laughs> you know, before you took on to the Devil's Lake story, <clears throat> I was actually going to ask you just to point out how things have changed overall for everybody over the last twenty-five years. Is that boat well, you ran was not spectacular back in those days? Like, were most people's <laughs> first boats back in those days? Yeah, I mean, I got by. I mean, in some ways, um, you know, I, I think running a small boat, I think, can teach you a lot. I mean, I think you learn a lot better boat handling. Um, in some ways, I think it might force you to learn how to become a better angler just because you just pick an area and fish it. You don't think about the whole lake or what's happening everywhere else because you can't. And sometimes when you get a big boat with a big motor and you go anywhere you want, sometimes you spend too much time running around and burning gas. And so um, I, I wouldn't say that small boats are a detriment. I wouldn't say that older equipment is always a detriment because at the end of the day, you know, the most important piece of equipment you have is your head, you know, as far as your decision making. And uh knowing when to sit on spots, knowing when to go, knowing where, what the next step is going to be, you know, learning how to find fish, you know, because, um, I mean, you can give somebody all the tools in the world, but, you know, it still takes a tremendous amount of time to learn how to use it. You know, and that's the that's double-edged sword in this industry is that if you have the money to buy everything that you could possibly want or see and think you want, uh, chances are you have to work enough to where you don't get the, all the opportunities to learn how to use it, okay? And so... I tell you what, some of the scariest anglers that I ever see are the people that have 
you know, they're not, they're, they're pretty unassuming. They might have an old boat, they might have old equipment, whatever, but they're out there every day and they sure know where and how to use it, you know? And so there's something to be said for that. So. I agree with that on all points and, you know, back to your smaller boats and having to learn smaller sections of smaller water. Um, we have a mutual friend and we're going to call him Frank because that's what oh, yeah. we call him. <laughs> but, uh, College name. <laughs> um, you know, him and I started in Devil's Lake in a 14-footer with a 25 horse, and it forced us yeah. to drive to a section of the lake and learn that section of the lake. And I know in my case, over the years, as I've gotten bigger and better stuff, I don't, I'm not as good at isolating things in certain sections of the lake as I, as I once was. Now, granted, I'm not there as much as I once was either. Yeah, well, even the boat control, too, you know, you start getting into bigger boats, and um, it can be harder and harder to control the boat, especially if there's wind and, you know, just you know, really small, tight spots. I mean, I still think, you know, you take like a, a 16-foot tiller boat with splash guards and a 25 to 75-horsepower motor, and um, you can crawl over spots all day, you know, and yeah, you can attempt to do the same things now with spot lock and stuff you know a lot of this stuff has just gotten so much better over the last couple of years but um you know you can do a lot of damage with a little boat you know if you know where to use it you know and and i think too you know the the equipment has gotten better in the sense that that's probably the biggest thing we're seeing is it used to be where to get really good at angling it was a lifetime endeavor that you know you know people were really good at it you know they spent their whole lives at it I think what's exciting to me, and I think it's it's a good thing, but there's some consequences to that, is that now in today's world, you know, I know really competent, really good anglers that have been fishing for five years, you know, because you can you, you can buy a Lake Master map chip or you can buy a, you know, legend cartography chip, you know, and and you can um, you can, you know, have spot lock and stuff where you can just control the boat and two foot waves all day and you know, and, it, and there's so much information out there, whether it's YouTube videos, blogs. I mean, there's just so much stuff out there that, I mean, it used to be where if you're struggling rigging your boat, for example, and you're getting interference on your depth finder, I mean, it it took a lot of work to figure out, to troubleshoot what was wrong, you know, and you end up having to drive somewhere to find somebody that knew, and then you had to pay them, you know. Now you just look it up on YouTube, <coughs> excuse me, look it up on YouTube, and you can find out just about everything. And so the learning curve, I think, today is a lot more dramatic, you know. But um, that being said, you know, it's uh, at the end of the day, I think, you know, most of the time, you know, when you're on a really good program as far as fishing and dial things in and figuring things out, the more you know, the simpler it gets, you know. And so that's one thing we always try to preach with our shows. We don't try to make fishing more complicated. I mean, it make you feel good if you want to make things as complicated as possible. At the end of the day, you're still fishing for the same fish. It's got the brain the size of a peanut. And so we just try to dumb things down and make it simpler. And usually when you make it simpler, you just end up being more efficient and clean and catch more fish. I agree with that on every level. Um, I, one of the things I, I was with the Catfish University that we're doing that I brought up at the beginning of the show is this year we're going back to the fundamentals. Because we've mm-hmm. kind of been seeing a lot of new people coming in and a lot of people that fished when they were younger and due to some things coming up this last year that we don't need to talk about because everybody knows. But people have come back to the fishing world and yeah. the technology's just gotten away from people. And, you know, there is so much stuff out there, like you said. So we're going to pull it back to the fundamentals and kind of, you know, remind them of the basics because the greatest I'm just going to throw it out there. The greatest depth finder in the world isn't going to catch those fish unless you understand a few other things about the fish. So we're going to talk about yeah. 
getting the proper gear, not buying the most expensive, best gear you can get right out of the gate, and understanding the water you're fishing and understanding the fish you're trying to target. We're going to back that off a little bit and get you back in, in order with that before we push you into the next level. That's kind of where we're aiming this year. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I mean, I I think in so many cases, you know, the gear thing gets um, overrated. And I think, too, it's a from an industry perspective, it's a double-edged sword. You know, we all have sponsors that we need to try to make happy, and they are happy when they're selling something. And so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's equipment and gear that can make your life easier or maybe, um, you know, excel that learning curve, find the fish quicker, what have you. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, it's the decision making, just knowing how to do things. And, and that just comes down to the bare bones. I mean, again, I mean, you, you really want to find see a person that's really in tune to the fishing is, you know, check out that person's got a dock on a lake and he fishes there every day. He's retired and, you know, <laughs> he's got a 30 year old boat that never leaves that slip. that never leaves that dock unless it's going out on that body of water. And that's all they do is fish, you know, and, and those are the people that you can really learn a lot from. The person has all the equipment in the world, but doesn't ever have a time to use it. In a lot of cases, I think it's going to give you bad advice. You know, and you know, once you get into fishing further, you know, you can fine tune things or or take it as far as you want to go. In the sense that, um, you know, like even like with electronics, you know, that's probably the biggest question we get is learning to use electronics, interpreting electronics. Um, you know, because people, you know, I think people are people tell especially in the promotional side of the game, I think people are pretty quick to tell people bad advice. I never understood why it's almost like they just make stuff up as they go so they can sound good. It's like they want to hear themselves talk And you look at, for example, electronics, the biggest thing with electronics is understanding what it'll do, but also more importantly, understanding what it won't do. Okay. There's certain situations where side imaging will not show you what you need to see. Okay. And if you're thinking you're going to see that, then you're, you're, your way, you know, you're, you're making your decisions on the wrong information. Okay. Um, probably one of the most important things electronics is, is just your power. I mean, some, uh, for whatever reason, you know, people run, want to run cheap cranking batteries in their boat and their graphs don't have enough power. Like if your graph powers down, as you turn it on, your graph isn't getting enough power. Or if you're not running clean power, for example, and you're getting interference, your side imaging picture, for example, is going to look terrible. And so it's going to be really hard to learn how to use side imaging or incorporate that into your fishing if it's not working correctly because of how your boat's set up, you know. So there's things like that. Um, but, you know, when you, when you, you know, get all those things working together, yeah, there's times and place where it makes a big difference. But don't worry about that until you get back to the basics and get that figured out first and no matter how much you fish no matter how much you think you know you you hit walls all the time with fishing where you end up going back to the basics you know and so um you never overstate that enough just keep it simple stupid the kiss principle it really applies it's like it was made for fishing you know so well that was one of the reasons i wanted to bring you on because you talk about that a lot that you know back in the guiding days you know not all days were good, and God knows I'm good for a couple of stinkers every year. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. And I tell people, if you ever run into a fishing guide in particular that says he never has a bad day, chances are you're dealing with a liar because there's always a stinker yeah. somewhere. Something's they're always pretty, missed. They're pretty right? Yeah, they fished five <laughs> days last summer, and now they think they're a guide. And <laughs> the other thing, too, is you, know, you get people that just assume that, okay, I was on Devil's Lake for three, three days last year when the biting was just – incredible wherever i went i caught fish and you know people hit those types of windows and and they're like well i don't know how you can go to the red river and not catch a catfish it's full of catfish last summer i was out there on may 30th and i caught 15 of them just from shore you know well yeah but 
you know, it's time doesn't stand still, right? I mean, <laughs> you go to the next year and even like, you know, people that keep journals, right? Like, like the date, you know, I mean, to me, that's the most, I would say almost irrelevant information. Okay. So it's like saying, okay, what's the weather right here now? It's what January 15th today. Okay. So it's what two below zero and there's no wind. And so what is that going to tell you for next year? It could be 30 degrees above with cloudy and foggy and you know with a 10 mile an hour wind i mean it's like trying to predict the weather there's some generalities but at the end of the day um you know one of the things i started doing about i don't know maybe 10 years ago so i'd start off every year where i just delete my waypoints and i found out that i was such a better angler when i just got rid of all that past history and i just fished like i didn't have any waypoints you fish so much better and differently when you don't have waypoints sometimes because what happens is you get a bunch of waypoints first of all you get so many of them that you don't remember what all of them are for what all of them mean right and so again you'd have to have a log you could spend more time going through a log than you would fishing but um i just feel like you get a bunch of waypoints all you do is start chasing numbers start chasing going from one icon to the next and you, and you quit learning all the water that's in between those waypoints and so you know, in some ways, you know, I think some of this stuff gets to be kind of a curse or a crutch that's bad for you because you're trying to, you know, become better at fishing or learn more about fishing. And so that's one thing I started doing is deleting my waypoints. And sometimes you fish way better when you don't have any. You know, that's a concept I've never heard. I've never once <laughs> heard anybody doing that. And just so you know, I'm not, well, you gonna, know, I, I'm not going to do it because I got the holes <laughs> marked and the anchor points. <laughs> I mean, there's some rock piles and stuff that are out in the middle of nowhere that are, that I keep. Right. But as far as just, you know, granted with the map chips now too, it's a lot easier because, okay, if I need to find the north tip of Bird Island or whatever it is, I mean, I don't have to have a waypoint for that anymore because it's, you know, that's all on the map chips. But it kind of happened by accident where, you know, I had a, I got a new unit and I had, a, I had really a hard time getting my information from the old unit to the new unit about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever. And so I just started over from scratch. I thought, wow, you know what, this is kind of nice. I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm fishing through spots better. I'm fishing the entire thing. I'm learning more. I didn't, you know, um, there's, there's always so much to learn. I mean, don't ever think that you could fish one point or one hump or one island a hundred times, but there's still something on that thing that you might not understand or realize, you know, it might be a little finger coming off of it. The rocks might be bigger on one side of it than you thought, whatever it is, but there's always something to learn. And I just found that by getting rid of that past information, I was just, my mind was more open. I was fishing through spots and just fishing versus just, going to one waypoint, oh, they're not here. Going to another waypoint, oh, they're not here. At the end of the day, you fish 15 waypoints, but you don't know any more than, than when you made those 15 waypoints, you know? And so I just, that's just something that's worked for me. So reverse psychology, whatever you want to call it. So, Yeah, I did that. I did switch units and I did leave off the, I never brought the new ones with me, but I, you know, around here you get trees and you kind of got an idea where everything is. And, but yeah. I, I guarantee you the anchor points of the holes and some of that stuff will be going with me the next time. But I'm going to back you up a second to your records. I agree with you on the today is today and next year today is different day. I agree with that. But one of the things I've done in my record keeping is I put it on Excel at the end of the year and I'm out enough. I can get away with this where it trends Mm -hmm. the conditions. And that's why I like to keep them is trending the condition. Okay. On this day, Last year to this day, last year, we had a cold front and the water temps were dropping. What happened to my fish catching? Where did I make my adjustments? And a perfect example of this, and I've probably never even told you this, the very first time we tried to shoot a TV show in Grand Forks together, it was a complete disaster Mm -hmm. the first evening, and we ended up going up north in the morning and and hammering out a home run right out of the gate in the morning. Well, two years later, I ran into almost the exact situation 
and I figured out, I, I found the fish in that second one. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I started looking through the books, and sure enough, that exact situation presented itself when we were trying to shoot that first show. And it's like, oh, I totally botched this that night. We could have just made this quick little, but that's kind of how the brain, my brain works, is putting yeah. it back to the failure. So as far as record keeping goes, now if you're out three or four times a year, the records aren't going to help you. I mean, I'm the first person to tell you that. But if you're out every day, you can really start trending. And what day it is and what month it is is fairly irrelevant. It's more what what season are the the fish in. It's the 10,000-foot view, absolutely. I agree with that. So on to to that, um, that waypoint thing, that is absolutely brilliant. I mean, I'm just kind of wrapping my head around that. I mean, there's a lot to be said for getting well, rid of so that. Well, so it's funny as so, and I, I hate to drop names because, I mean, everybody has their own formula, right? And there's no one-size-fits-all. I'm not saying that what I do work for other people, but, you know, some of my friends are really giving me a hard time because, I mean, I had a lot of waypoints on Devil's Lake. And I was just, I don't care. I don't need them. Don't want them. I'm just going to go out here and fish. They just thought I was crazy. Well, then I was, one of the things I like to do is I like, I really like to follow the, like the BSS elites and stuff like that. Just cause I, I, the strategy and stuff is really intriguing to me, even though I might be say a walleye guy that loves to fish for anything else, any chance I get um, the stuff that, you know, you can always learn something. And so, for example, you know, uh, some of the bass guys, you know, they're, you know, especially some of the upper level tournament guys, you know, they're talking about, you know, like current windows and things like that. Well, you don't really hear walleye anglers talking about some of this stuff, but I know that it affects walleyes too. And so I, I glean a lot of information from the bass world, you know, and I, and I enjoy following that stuff, even their strategies, you know, that they're using with time management and stuff and tournaments and stuff. I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff shows up in the bass world first and then trickles itself into other gamuts of the fishing industry. Well, I was reading one time with Kevin Van Dam where, you know, he had won two tournaments on this particular reservoir and be like, well, are you going to win a third one? How do you prepare? And, and he kind of made a comment that in his pre-fishing, well, one of the things I like to do is I want to race all my waypoints so I can start off fresh and fish the day, fish the week, fish the reservoir today versus relying on all these past memories. So if I start relying on all those past memories and fish where I won the tournament last time, I, I won't even hardly place, you know, because everything's changing. You know, I thought, huh, see, I told you guys. <laughs> 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 I've been watching a lot more bass the last couple of years too. And a lot of it is I want to see how they're presenting themselves to the yeah. rest of the world and using it as a, you know, with this day of social media and stuff, that's things we need to pay attention to. I, I go to a lot of fishing seminars back when we had them, not to even, mm-hmm. I, I had no care in the world as to what they were talking about. I wanted to see the presentation so I could learn yeah. how to be a better presenter and that, I mean, mm-hmm. I watched, I'm going to talk about it a little later probably, or might be right now, but I watched your Facebook Live thing here a few weeks back just to watch the okay. presentation because mm-hmm. I know you come up with a nugget that nobody's paying attention to in presentation. And <laughs> I, I wanted to catch that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I think it is too is that, I mean, there's always trends, right? I mean, even like, um, thumbnail photos for YouTubes and, you know, videos and algorithms and all that kind of stuff. That stuff is always changing and, you know, it's just an ebb and flow, you know, uh, even um, seminars, right? I mean, some of it's technology driven. I remember the first time ever doing seminars, we had these like um, slides that went into a carousel 
you're, you're in this dark room and you hit a button and then this carousel would turn and then a new slide would pop up. And so, you you know, you get your pictures actually made into slides for your seminar. And you have to have make sure you have them in order. So you'd have them like labeled like one, two, three, four. And there was no text on the picture. There was no graphics. There's no animation. There's no nothing. Right now you go to a PowerPoint and, you know, people are incorporating audio into their videos and there's animation, and all kinds of different things to help you tell a story or to help you show people something so that you can teach something, you know, but I think at the end of the day, um, I don't, I don't really get hung up on a lot of that stuff. I'm not real technological savvy. It cuts into my fishing. Every time I miss a fish because of my phone, it really makes me angry. <laughs> and so I'm not the right person to ask. I, at the end of the day, it's like, like I have people, you know, that work for me or help me or whatever, you know, and they're like, Oh, you got to do this and do that. And I said, well, I know, I know that my career will go farther if I do this and do that, but you don't understand. I do this because I love fishing. This here cuts into my fishing too much, and so we're just going to have to we're just going to have to not play our best game in this department because that means you know what you're asking me to do is you know I mean I'd rather fish than talk about it you know. But um, at the end of the day, you know I think the biggest thing is you just be authentic, be yourself, and and as crazy and simple and stupid as it sounds, just tell people the truth. Okay, just tell people the truth. Tell them what you would, you know, what you would want to hear, what you would want to know, you know, and um, if you tell people the truth, you know, I mean, that's, it's easy then. I mean, it doesn't matter what medium you use, doesn't matter how fancy it is, how primitive, whatever. If you just tell people the truth and people believe you, you're going to influence a meaningful buying decision. It's going to help you on the backside with, with endorsements or sponsors, what have you. And um, if you just tell people the truth, you know, you'll, you'll, they'll trust you. You know, and so like with like fishing rods is a great example. I can't tell you how many ugly sticks and and rhino rods and stuff that I've sold over the years because I'm sizing this kid up or I'm sizing this dad up. And, you know, what a hundred dollar graphite rod is not what you want or need. I mean, if it was my own kid, I would that's what I would do, you know, or, you know, or just give them good advice. You know, I mean, um, just tell people the truth. And it's that simple. So. Yeah, speaking of ugly stick, <clears throat> near two years ago, I actually went back and started guiding with them, and I'm planning it again this year and in, in the future because they yeah. get the job done and they're quality. And I mean, the only thing I've ever broke on one is a butt cap getting caught in a rod hole. <laughs> <laughs> you can break them in the garbage disposal, can't you? Isn't that what the old commercial they used to have? <laughs> yeah, I don't even think that worked. Well, I, I once saw the old black ugly stick getting off topic here, of course, which we're good at here. Um, pull in a 50 set five inch sturgeon at lake of the woods i mean and the guy just reefed on it and heaved it and you could see it bending at the handle in his hands and it held up yeah you know it's funny all those years that i guided i mean there's something i mean yeah i mean having a really nice spinning rod for example or having a really nice expensive rod is nice for some things you know like say you're casting all day long and it just you know having that lighter weight physical weight in your hand it just feels good in your hand and it's sensitive and, and there's maybe a confidence thing where it just feels like okay that's my stick you know that's my club you know that i'm going to ride in a battle with today but i tell you what all the years guiding i mean people showed up with all kinds of different rods and there was never a correlation between okay this person spent over 150 dollars that person's going to catch most of the fish whereas this person has a 30 dollar rod that person's not going to catch any fish and, it, and it's present it, it depends on the presentation right if you're pulling bottom bolsters at two miles an hour <laughs> everything's going to catch fish, right? If you're pulling cranks, whatever, you just want a rod that isn't so stiff that the lures pop out, you know. But even like throwing jigs and stuff like that, one of the things that I saw over the years is that sometimes with a really good rod that, you know, is more sensitive or even especially with braided line, is that, yeah, you can feel the fish a lot quicker. You have a lot better, faster response that way, but the fish can also feel you. And so there's times where, you know, I'd have somebody – 
in the back of the boat with a $30 rod, they'd be just cleaning everybody's clock because by the time that person figured out there was a fish on their line, it was too late for the fish. Right? They had it choked, you know. And sometimes, too, when the person doesn't realize, like, think how many times you get out fished by your rod holder, right, when you're walleye fishing where, you know, you're going along and that rod is just kind of bending a little bit and that fish is just like it's almost like it's just swimming with the bait and just just munching on it choking on it then it gets to the point where it's almost like that fish Mm -hmm. feels it trying to pull away and they just they just keep choking on it and then all of a sudden that rod will just boom boom bend all the way over and you just reel the fish in you know and sometimes people holding out of the rod can't figure that out or get that down and are missing fish where somebody is sitting there with the rods and the rod holders just cleaning your clock you know and so you know it I wish it was that simple as, oh, you spend this much money on a rod, you spend this much on this over here, and you're just automatically going to catch more fish. But you get out in the real world, and a CPA would have a heyday with a lot of the things that people spend their money on because the return on investment sometimes probably isn't there. I agree. You know, talking about the rods and the line, one of the questions I get a lot is why I don't like braided line for catfishing. And when Mm -hmm. I speak, I lay out the positives and negatives of braid and mono they have their they both have their place but the reason i use mono is because that stretch catfish are really really sensitive and Mm -hmm. and that little bit of stretch actually helps with the hook set plus guiding and you can attest to this even though you didn't do catfish inexperience needs something forgiving and mono and that stretch that mono provides is forgiving so some little yep. girl reefing up and down with that stretch in the mono has a better chance of not ripping that hook out i can see that or even reeling that anchor or that weight up too close to the rod tip and all of a sudden you get a 30 inch fish that decides to make another run and absolutely i can see that you know that's the thing is you know you you just develop your system and you know it's what, what i love about what we do now is we travel all over the place you know and so we get the same type of things in our head you know where i got my program and i you know i feel pretty good about it and confident comfortable with it and then you go somewhere new and different and it's like wow you know um completely different world you know and uh, you might, you know, I'm just throwing this out there, you know, just, you know, uh, just for the sake of conversation. But, you know, maybe you go down to Sandy Cooper or something, start fishing for blue catfish in the, and it's 50 feet of water and it's ripping current. And, you know, and they're using 80 pound musky rig. I don't know what they're using. Right. But but they'll have a completely different system for that environment that they're fishing. And it's, it's so different from ours. And then it's like, wow, you know, I just kind of. That's what I enjoy, love about doing television and filming with so many great anglers across the Midwest and beyond is that you just get your eyes open, all these different little nuances that, you know, kind of are uh, a product of the environment where these people are fishing. So, Yeah, we get that. We see that a lot in the catfish world. A lot of it is adding floats and different things to it. And, you know, I get, I get a lot of people coming up from other places. Why don't you use this? Why don't you use this? Well, frankly, I got to manage six of these lines at the same time for you guys. So, you know, it's kind of where I've leaned with with teaching is, I'm going to concentrate on being in the right location with the setup I have versus trying the setup and being in the wrong location because, yeah. you know, that's kind of the approach that I've taken with. Don't get me wrong. I would love to try it. I just don't have a lot of time to try it. So <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you're guiding, you just have to do with what you know works, you know. So. You know, I've been talking with, with a couple of different uh, producers around about very, just talking about different ideas of technique and, that's one of the things that comes up is I've just been forced to learn where the fish are and fine-tune location and efficiency versus what gear I'm using and how I'm using it because I can't 
just blindly be throwing clients out there. Hey, try this. I read about it. You know, you just can't yeah. do it. And you know that as well as I do. You guided a lot longer than I have. Yeah. Yeah. With guiding it, and that's kind of a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, with guiding, at least for me, you know, I was on the water, you know, almost every day and got to see a lot of neat things and you learn a lot of stuff. But at the same time, sometimes you're almost kind of limited because, you know, there's only so many things you can try in a day, but you better spend a big part of your day doing what you think is going to work or, or what worked the day before. And even with the presentations and stuff. And, and what, what I always enjoyed is that one of the things I learned in, in walleye fishing is a little different because, you know, you're, you're, say you're, say we're going along a shoreline and we're casting, say we're pitching jigs or pitching cranks or whatever. And invariably, you know, somebody would pull some lure out of their tackle box. Oh, this is what I used up in Canada. You know, and I, I remember just cringing whenever I heard Canada going, Oh, that's never going to work here, you know, and sometimes it didn't, you know, and you'd catch a couple of fish and then people sort of listen to you and go with what you're, what you're recommending. But boy, I tell you what, there was enough times where they'd pull something out of their tackle box and start doing something that I would have never done in a hundred years. And they started catching fish and it, it almost like it force fed me to learn something. I would have never figured that out or learned that unless it was just, you know, just having all those lines in the water, people doing terribly doing different things you know and if some of that stuff was pretty special you know like say using a really like a big jig like a half ounce jig and doing something that just completely went against the grain of what we were what we kept telling ourselves you know so i think you know some of that some of those memories are, are pretty neat for me so yeah that's uh you, you never know what you're gonna pick up with that uh but I tend to keep my Canada box, my Canada box, and my Devil's Lake box, my Devil's Lake box, and kind of. Roll I learned to keep my mouth shut. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna step away and talk about my buddy Thunder Ray for a second, and then uh, I'm gonna ask you a little more about the guiding and the TV and some more stuff like okay. that. So, sounds good. There's a new new auto repair shop in Grand Forks, Thunder Ray's Auto Repair. My buddy Ray Lee started this last summer. Ray's does it all. General auto repair, oil changes, maintenance, brakes, suspensions, fuel injection diagnostics, and tranny work. Thunder Ray's also loves working on your hot rods and muscle cars. Don't, and you won't drop dead when you get the bill. Call or schedule an appointment online at thunderrays.com or call them locally, 701-757-0287, or check out their Facebook page. There's a new auto repair shop in town, Thunder Ray's Auto, 2315 North Washington Street, Grand Forks. That's Thunder Ray's Auto. All right, we're going to step back to your guiding days, just just touch on it. So you were about 15 years of actual guiding year-round, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, we went for it pretty hard for a long time. And I, you know, even when, after I started doing television, I, there was still a couple years where I did quite a bit. And then it just got to where I felt like I couldn't do the best job with television and the best job guiding and trying to do everything at the same time. And so I ended up just walking away from guiding just because um, it, just, it was just a train wreck with, you know, logistics and scheduling and everything else. And so uh, I haven't guided for yeah, a handful of years now, but, um, you know, every once in a while I'll take somebody out for like a giveaway trip or something like that. But uh, I, I like guiding though. I always joke when I get done, tired of television someday and just want to, you know, be an old man in a small boat on one lake for the rest of my life, I'll probably get back into it because I loved, I loved guiding. That's for sure. I think guiding's fun. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It wears on me by the end of the year. I want it some time well, off, but yeah, I mean, you get tough four or five tough days in a row. You can't do nothing right. And by the end of the summer, the end of the winter, you're running out of personality, <laughs> but I loved it. I mean, I had great people, great people I had every year, you know, and I just, I just loved it, you know, fishing every day and, and really getting into the groove of things, you know, and, yeah, I, 
I, uh, you get those, to- you get those regulars that it's almost hard to take their money because you've gotten to be friends from oh, over the yeah, years and, and you know, it's yeah, part absolutely. of the game, but you know, you just look forward to the day they show up because you know, it's going to be a fun day, no matter what happens. That's one of the things I, I really like. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or getting a little kid that's never really done it before, having a little success, that's always a, a real treat, too. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, I, I really loved the kids, and I always just thought it was so cool when people would be bringing their kids out on, like, a, their very first big fishing trip, or, the, or you know, they're bringing their parents out for their last fishing trip. You know, I had a lot of that, too, where, you know, a guy or a gal would get their parents out, you know, and maybe they were terminally sick or you know they weren't in very good health anymore like this is the last time we're going to be able to go out fishing you know on a a big water you know bigger boat and um, travel any type of distance and so some of that stuff was really special too so yeah I had one of those uh, you you could tell the guy was holding his head up he wanted one last fishing trip with his boy before the end and you could tell and I mean yeah you fished with me on the river before. If you get 15, 20 of these hogs, you're, you're doing good. <laughs> and this particular day, I could do nothing wrong. And here mm-hmm. we are, we're right up, we're about two minutes from the end, and I looked at the sheet, and we're two fish from 100. <laughs> I'm like, you know, we can't go in, guys. I know you're tired, but we can't go in. We got to wrap this up here. So we stayed out <laughs> an extra 15, 20 minutes just to, just to hit that triple digit because just because. Yeah. So yeah, it's almost like sometimes the fishing gods look over you when you got that in your boat, you know, or you got somebody on their last trip or somebody on their first trip. It's funny how you just get the right mojo sometimes when you're a guide, you know. So last week I had Ryan Casey who guides catfish down out of St. Louis on, and I asked him just out of the blue if he had an absolute guiding horror story he would like to share. <laughs> and I have one which I won't share again unless you really want to hear it. But you must have one just disaster of a story, fishing or not related, just to the guide oh. trip itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had some horror stories, you know, like boat breakdowns and stuff. And, you know, just, yeah, I mean, I've had plenty of those too. You know, try to <laughs> try to shake that off and move on to the next day. But, uh, goodness, I remember one time I was trolling over by the flats and my bilge wasn't working. And I was taking a bunch of water over the back, and it got really windy. And um, goodness, pretty soon my motor, my big motor, wouldn't even go. And I had to come in on my kicker. Well, the wind was blowing into the old boat ramp there at the flats over in Minnewaukee, and and, uh, I just couldn't, I just couldn't go with that kicker and load my boat there the way the wind was blowing in there. And so I had to go all the way across over to Graham's Island, which in hindsight probably wasn't the best decision either. But I could go with the wind, and I thought, well, if I can just go with the wind and not have to cut against the wind or whatever i'll just kind of use a kicker to prod ourselves in we end up running it running the boat right up on shore when we got over to graham's island i had somebody bring my pickup around the whole day was lost you know and so that was kind of a bonehead day you know and it you know the bunch of fire line got wrapped up around the propeller and the bilge you know and you know and i didn't I wasn't, I wasn't really mechanically inclined. I guess I'm still not, but that was one of the lessons I learned that day is, you know, make sure you have a, an extra canister somewhere in the boat. So that way if your bilge quits working, you can pop out the old canister and put in a new canister. But, you know, 25 years old, I didn't know that. I never, you know, I didn't think about stuff until it was broken, unfortunately. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've had all kinds of different things. Um, 
you know, there's been a lot of times, for example, where people have bow problems and I end up helping them or saving them, whatever you want to call it, you know, and, and uh, always hope that that gave us some good karma, you know, but uh, seeing some crazy stuff on Devil's Lake, especially on the really windy day, especially the days where it kind of sneaks up on you, you know, now we've got our phones, you know, where you got apps that we can, you know, wind forecasts and stuff, but, you know, 15 years ago, we didn't have all that stuff, and I remember, you know, we'd have the weather on in the bait shop and if the, something looked like it was going to get crazy, you know, we'd make sure the bait shop called all the boats that were out, you know, as far as on, on our guide team, you know, but boy, some of that stuff would just sneak up on you. I remember times where, you know, just getting caught in storms and getting caught in hail, you know, or just hitting me in the forehead. I got blood running down my face and, you know, you still got to look up enough to see, you know, and just trying to make your way to a bridge or something to hide, you know, and just, just getting beat up and pounded by the weather is probably thing i remember most some days so yeah and you loved every second of it when you think back on it now <laughs> well the problem is i was loving it too much until then so i was usually like the last person to leave you know i'd see it coming and see it coming oh one more cast one more cast and we'll try to beat it you know we're all the way up in pelican lake and we gotta get all the way to graham's island and i remember a few times coming around that corner by, uh, uh what we call the gap there and just getting pounded you know and just yeah, you know, and I was never, uh, you know, I was never racing anybody, so I just took my time, trimmed it up, and took our time and tried to make the ride as comfortable as possible. But man, man, sometimes you just get caught up in stuff that just ugly, you know. So I remember one time this lake was lower, the bridges were lower, but I was over in East Bay. The wind was only supposed to blow 20 miles an hour out of the west, which isn't terrible. I mean, you know, that's something we're pretty used to. And and I could just sit there, oh, it's getting windy, it's getting windy. And I was protected. I was on the calm side, trolling cranks on this contour and finally it was time to leave and the wind had probably been blowing you know it came up to like 35 miles an hour maybe gusting more and i came underneath that 20 bridge and i came underneath the 57 bridge when i, when I was coming up to it, i could see the waves they're like you know six footers and i remember you know having everybody in the boat put a life jacket on and i hit my trolling motor on the bottom of the bridge coming underneath the bridge <laughs> so, <laughs> that's windy <laughs> it was and rolling and but we trimmed her up and after we got underneath that bridge we hardly had a drop of water on us i just took our time and made it back and stuff but man i there's some puckering moments that's for sure well if you want to talk about that bring our old friend frank back up in our 14 foot <laughs> <laughs> we were over by bluebill one one day tucked in there and the wind picked up and we were launched at that old minnewaukee ramp you were talking about yeah a 14 foot and a 25 horse and we are just <laughs> catching fish like crazy and i remember it this we heard this crash and we looked and there was a 17 mr pike came ripping around the corner completely airborne propping everything and we're just like uh we have a problem here and we we sat and looked at each other i don't even think we spoke for about 45 minutes we just sat and looked (laughs) at each other we didn't fish we didn't nothing and finally we drained the live well put our life jackets and our rain gear and everything on and put our lunch pails, coffee cups, and everything that would fit in the live well in the live well because it was a 14-foot lund. Yeah. You know, not, there's, if it's going to bounce, it's going to come out. Yeah. And we went all the way down to the fence off of Bluebill, and he was driving the boat. And we got up on a wave, and we just let it, we just rode the top of it for about a mile. And then when we had to drive, drop down in, you couldn't see out from the bottom of the swell. You couldn't see yeah. the next. And we rode those waves all the way back to Minnewauk, and, and there was a guy waiting, and he said, we were just about to call the police and get a rescue wow. out and search out for you guys because we were the lone last trailer there. And, of course, it's a 14-foot boat. And 
Um, I learned respect after that one. Yeah. But uh, we got rid of that 14-foot boat, too. Went up to a (laughs) 17-footer. So that was, yeah, I can, I can relate. So after the guiding, you know, you started, you were working with Tony Dean a lot back then and you bought his business. Mm -hmm. We're going to kind of skip a lot of that, but you know, you ended up on your own a little sooner than you had planned. And, you know, I guess. Yeah. You know, so I guess, yeah, Tony and I had planned on filming shows together for a few years and kind of, you know, working me into the business. Then he died unexpectedly. And so then uh, we were just thrown in, I guess, kind of a crash course, but, um, Luckily, I'd been around Tony enough for long enough where I, you know, some of those uh, things sunk in. I mean, some of the things Tony told me right away, I remember, didn't make sense. Then a few years ago, by the oh, now I know what Tony is talking about, you know. But, um, yeah, and we've been doing it ever since. So I think this is our 12th, 13th year now we've been on television. So time flies. Well, I, I, was, figuring, <laughs> I was figuring on the way over here to the studio, if you haven't noticed, I'm wearing my JMO. Yeah, from the looking last good. Shoot. Looking sharp, Brad. So pulled that off the rack. It's been sitting on the shelf since that day we shot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, it's been five years since we last did a show. If yeah. You know, I just Is realized that, that on the way over. Already? Yeah, five wow. years, 2016. Yeah, that was fun. I'm still getting mileage out of that one. Are you good? Yeah, that one that one shows up every now and again. Um, that was a just a fun night. I mean, that shallow yeah, water catfish bite, the way we went. I mean, we, we didn't even yeah. shoot that long. No, it didn't take us long at all to film the show. Maybe not quite as as uh, busy as that day we sat under the Drayton Dam at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that something? <laughs> I can't remember was... who you had shooting at that show, but I remember setting two lines and casting the fourth one and asked him if he was ready to roll. And he said, why? I said, because we got a fish. Bam. And that was like a 25-pounder <laughs> that you had right out of the gate. Yeah, it was that was an incredible day of fishing. It was, just, it was just nuts. We were the only ones out there. That's what I couldn't believe. You know, it was just something like that. And you're only people on the river. It just blows my mind. Well, both times we've shot now, we've been alone. Mm-hmm. Granted, it's been a Tuesday, but still. Yeah, I imagine that's changing. You know, more and more people. I mean, catfish in the Red River sort of show up on people's radar a lot more. Even people in North Dakota that maybe didn't realize what they had, you know, I think it's starting to get on people's radar, but boy, it's talk about an underutilized phenomenal resource. You, know, you got some of the best fishing in the country and, um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't even realize it's there, you know, so that's, that's always surprised me. So that's getting to be a bigger deal. I mean, we've got three major tournaments over here. Now we've mm-hmm. got the catfish league running 30 plus boats every Wednesday night. Uh, you know, back 15 years ago, about the time I started guiding, even on a Saturday, a big day was five or six trailers. Now, especially yeah. during pre-spawn, you're seeing 16 to 20 trailers easy yeah. on a Saturday. Yeah. And you get up north. Drayton, you know, is more known for the tourism aspect. You know, yeah. if it's really rolling up there, it's it's nothing to see 12 to 15 out-of-state boats up there any given yeah. weekend. So it, yeah, it is well, coming around. Yeah, I even know people, you know, like live over in Brainerd and Bemidji and, you know, northern Minnesota that, you know, come over to the Red River once or twice a year just to get their fix, you know. So it's uh, kind of neat how it's, you know, people, people you just get a little taste of it and you just kind of fall in love with that. So. Well, who doesn't love a, <laughs> a who doesn't love a big fish? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I've been noticing North Dakota, you brought that up. I got regulars from Bismarck now, regulars from Fargo now, and, you know, back when yeah. I was starting out, I had three three sort of regulars from the general area 
and everybody yep. else was coming in from out of state. And now, I mean, mm-hmm. I've got, I've got a couple of regulars from Devil's Lake that are here yep. every year, never miss one. So, I mean, it is coming around in state, and I think people are just realizing we don't have to fish for just for walleyes. Oh, absolutely. I think that's across the board. You know, even if you look at the bass fishing opportunities in the state that people are starting to follow and pay attention to now. And in some ways, there's a lot of new people in the state, right? You know, that moved out, work in the Bakken or Air Force bases, what have you, that, you know, come from other parts of the country where they could care less about walleyes and they get out here and they like, wow, some of the best bass fishing I've ever seen or some of the best cat fishing I've ever seen. You know, you look even like the Missouri River system and the catfish opportunities on that <laughs> talk about untouched <laughs> you know i mean nobody does it you know and it's it's pretty good fishing so yeah you don't hear much about it i um the montana catfish association actually has been running a tournament out of williston now for yeah six seven eight maybe ten years now i guess i don't even remember but yeah. they pull nice fish out of the missouri out there that with the exception of that weekend i don't think anybody's really utilizing no and even like the milk river over in montana is just full of catfish you know and in the Yellowstone, obviously, I mean, there's some really good, you know, even you get down to like, you know, upper end of Lake Oahe, south of Bismarck, and you look at like Francis Case and Lake Sharp. I mean, those there's guides down in Lake Sharp and Francis Case, and they get people from Iowa and Nebraska, you know, where those are areas where catfish are a lot more coveted or more popular. And, and you know, they'll, they'll get some groups that come up there every year just for fish for catfish, you know, and, and some of the stuff that they, you know, recall and tell you about is pretty impressive as far as it's like, it's like how many tonnage, how many pounds of fish do you want to catch in a day? It's just it's just this untapped resource that nobody ever spends any time on. So it's pretty fascinating to me. Well, that's kind of gotten to be one of the questions that comes up to me is what's your tonnage for the year now, which, of course, I usually know. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, last year was a, a couple down. couple fleets of semis. <laughs> <laughs> last year was a down year. I only had uh, six ton. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of slime. <laughs> you ever wonder why I run a don't run a carpeted boat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to run a carpeted boat on the Red River. <laughs> so no, it's 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 been a lot of fun. I mean to to have it and watch it grow. And I mean it's mm-hmm. we got two brand new ramps in Grand Forks in the last fifteen years. It's hard to believe the North wow. Landing's already sixteen years old, but wow, it's still good. Um, they're supposed to be at least one new one coming in Drayton someday. And there's talk mm-hmm. about adding a second one downtown in Drayton, which is not for sure yet. Yeah. Now, do you ever, does, do people ever fish the water? Like, cause I mean, I've had good catfishing in Fargo, you know I mean? So, you know, there's kind of this, I guess, and it's probably a, a general thumb. that's probably true that the further North you go, the bigger the fish can be, you know, it's like Drayton versus say like Wapiton, right? But, you know, I fished down in Fargo, and I was really impressed. Like, wow, these are really nice fish. We caught some nice fish down there. But you look at all the water between Fargo, like around Hillsboro, and that's probably all untouched, huh? Fish would die of old age before it ever got snagged out of one of those holes, wouldn't it? I mean, is there anybody that fishes that stretch of river? Well, Fargo, especially oh, wow. South Fargo out of the convent landing at 52nd, that's... gets pounded pretty hard. Yeah. But so I've had some just phenomenal bites going out of that Johnson Park in Moorhead and heading north. Yep. which tends to be a little bit ruddier and um, mm-hmm. can be tougher on boats. But I think the fishing below all those dams in Fargo tends to get a little bit better. But there's a real nice ramp at Halstead and a lot of real nice okay. fish over around Halstead. And I know there's a lot of folks that sneakily get in there and fish that. Okay. But uh, for the most part, no, that's pretty untapped 
mm-hmm. water. And then, you know, there's a brand new ramp in Oslo now since their flood protection. And people yeah. sneak up there here and there, but it's hardly a tourist destination. And yeah. I think, and this has come up the last few weeks as we've been working on the Straighten Tournament and extending the boundaries, that 17 bridge by Grafton is yep. is 30 miles south of Drayton, but it's 35 river miles north of Oslo. There's got to be mm-hmm. about 10 miles in that that never gets touched. And then you get way north of Drayton, between Pembina and Drayton, there's probably 30, 40 miles that never even gets looked at at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a lot of untapped water. And then you get into the Canadian side, you know, they got the famous Lockport, but what's south of Winnipeg all the way to the U.S. border? I've never even met anybody that's fished any of that. Yeah, yeah. And even uh, what's that big tributary up there where you almost have to run a jet boat? Um, is it the Cinnaboyne River? Cinnaboyne comes, dumps yeah, in at Winnipeg. Yeah, about that where it sounds like there's just huge walleyes and catfish in that, but it's so treacherous that you almost have to have a jet boat. And, you know, no, hardly anybody ever fishes that. So I've fished the Cinnaboyne in Winnipeg and done very well over the okay. year a couple of times. Uh, but mm-hmm. that's right at the mouth. That's like going up the Red Lake River here. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I heard here uh, the Minot flood. Kim Funding's land asked me where the catfish would get. Well, when the Mouse River flooded, it's connected to the Assiniboine, and some catfish got through really? into the Mouse River via the Assiniboine during that flood. Because wow. he had called and said, as was asking me about it, and why, how they would get in, and I had to look at a map and figure all that out. So there is some in the mouse now over there, too. You know, what's fascinating about that, you know, there's all those dams on the Mouse River now. You know, like there's that big, tall dam over by Towner, and, you know, there's some you know there's some dams on the river that restrict fish travel, especially during, you know, regular water levels or low water levels. But I remember, you know, growing up in Minot, you know, there were some crappies in places in the river, you know, which, and then there's pumpkin seed sunfish and, you know, different things, but um, I remember old timers talking about how some years there was a lot of ciscos in the river, you know, before the before they had the dams in place. And so I would imagine that before they had those dams in high water, you probably had all kinds of fish transfer, you know, channel catfish, drum. Uh, what else is in the Red River, Cinnaboy River, Moon Eye, Gold Eye, mm-hmm. you know, but then you have the low water and then, you know, those fish get isolated. You know, and they can't get over those dams anymore. That probably stops some of that stuff. But I would guess that all those species are probably in the Mouse River, Cirrus River, at some point historically. So right, and you know, what's it been? One one major flood in our lifetime, and yeah, it was one in the '60s as well. So I'm sure that would move those fish around and connect up those those rivers with those yeah. generational floods. Yeah, that's that's cool how that goes. Well, like talking to the folks over in Brainerd. Some of the flooding over there, they got catfish up in Brainerd now come, that came up over the dams in the Mississippi. They said it's becoming really? a coveted species in that area, and they said yeah. 20, 30 years ago that was non-existent. So lots of neat things going on in how water and how fish tend to propagate and move around. That is. That is. So we're winding down on our time here. Uh you know, you talk about people getting into fishing and stuff, and, and I think you hit it on the head. One of the things I like to ask people like yourself that come in is tell a young person who wants to get into media or guiding a couple of tidbits, and I think you already did that with their honesty because I think that's a that's yeah, a huge, huge deal. I think so. Yeah, you know, that's a question I get asked a lot, you know, from kids, and, and um, I think sometimes people have maybe a false perception. They think there's like this fame and glory in it, and um, I mean, you can – 
you know, get some notoriety or whatever from it. But um, you know, there's people that make a great living in the fishing industry as well. Um, but one thing I, I see that's kind of a common denominator is that the people that are really successful, in my mind, they put the resource and the industry ahead of themselves. Okay. There's a lot of people that put themselves ahead of everything. And um, it just, it, it just seems like it's just a recipe for failure. Um, this industry is as much about people as it is about fishing. Okay. And so um, you have to, um, you have to serve others and, uh, and, do it for the right reasons. You know, you have to you know, get up in the morning and do it because you love to fish. If you just do it because you're just in love with yourself and in love with attention, um, you're going to flame up pretty quick. It, you're just not going to last long enough. And it, and it can be too humiliating and humbling some days that um, you, you got to, there's got to be more to it than that. And so put the industry and put the resource ahead of yourself and tell people the truth. And that's best thing I can tell you. I mean, it's, I, I that's what I know works. So. That's good advice there, kids. Remember that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, what you said there's, I think, exactly, you know, and I've tried to stay on that same path. I mean, mm-hmm. it's taken a lot longer being a catfish guide than probably. Yeah, you have a lot higher like ceiling, it. though, too, right? I mean, you know, sometimes you do, you follow the popularity contest and do what everybody else is doing. It's a lot harder to stand out. Sometimes you have to zig when everybody zags. And so a lot of the best success stories are people like yourself that, you know, did something because it wasn't popular, you know, and uh, and then wrote it as it became more mainstream or more popular. And then you're more on the ground floor of something versus, you know, getting in line and, you know, just being one of, you know, thousands of people trying to make it the bass world or what have you, you know. And so there's something to be said for that. There's pros and cons to everything, but don't be afraid to go down roads less travel because you're going to have a lot less competition, that's for sure. So, Well, like I tell, told my mom, I can't remember what we were talking about. I've been a black sheep my whole life. Why would I change now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could talk for hours and hours. We could talk about other trips we've been on and different things. Hopefully we can get you over here to shoot this year. Yeah. Um, we got an early spring, so if you're not doing much in May, we can probably knock one out real quick and quick and easy. So we'll put that. Sounds good, the- man. I would like to thank you once again. Maybe we'll get you back on next season. Um, good okay. luck with the rest of the ice season and shooting shows and stay safe out there. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. My pleasure, sir. Everybody, that was Jason Mitchell. That does it for this episode of Catfish Best Source. Uh, Stay tuned. I'd like to thank, sorry, I screwed up. Thanks to Thunder Rays Auto and Brothers Firearms. Stay tuned to next week's Catfish Best Source. Between now and then, check out Grand Forks Best Source. Reminder, if you'd like to watch any of the old shows, go to redrivercatfish.com, click the podcast button. They're all right there. To get a hold of me, book a trip, learn anything about what we got going on in the catfish world, look me up, redrivercatfish.com, on Facebook or Instagram. Until next week, I'm your host, Brad Durick.